Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. In this week's show, BP and the final conclusions from the National Commission into the cause of the Deepwater Horizon disaster. These people, both the people on shore running the Macondo operation and the people on the rig, made a series of decisions that perhaps saved them $20 million, but left them open to a disaster. E.ON and its recent gas price rises in the UK. Electricity bills will go up by 9% and gas bills by 3%, which is pretty much in line with the other increases announced by now five of the six major energy providers in the UK. And natural resource companies in the FTSE 100. Banks traditionally have been the second most weighted sector in the FTSE 100 index after oil companies. Now mining has eclipsed it. You're listening to Energy Weekly with me, Sylvia Pfeiffer. Joining me in the studio this week, the FT's energy correspondent David Blair and mining correspondent William McNamara. We start this week's show a day after the release of the final report from the Presidential Commission into the causes of the Deepwater Horizon accident in the Gulf of Mexico. Joining us to discuss the findings of the report, as well as BP in general, is author and journalist Stanley Reid. Stanley spent more than a decade covering BP as a journalist and has written a book on the oil company, In Too Deep, which reveals a pervasive culture of risk-taking and cost-cutting. Thanks very much for joining us, Stanley. Thank you. The Presidential Commission also released an early chapter last week into um, the causes of the Deepwater accident, where they blamed a failure of management at BP and as contractors for the accident. Do you agree with that assessment? Yes, I, I think they really hit the nail on the head. These people, both the people on shore running the Macondo operation and the people on the rig, made a series of decisions that perhaps saved them $20 million, but left them open to a, a disaster that you know not only cost um, 11 lives, but but is going to cost BP tens of billions of dollars. So they just don't seem to have thought through their procedures. And I think laying that to management is is a, is a very good um, conclusion. And is, is that then the fault of the management at the very top sitting, you know, here in, in London at the headquarters? Is, is, is it something that Tony Hayward should feel responsible for? And, or does it even go further back than Tony Hayward? I think Tony Hayward certainly was responsible. And, and Andy Ingalls, the... Uh, the head of the uh, exploration and production unit that this was done under. But I, I also think it's a culture that goes back to John Brown, who really shaped the company. They're very creative at finding oil, at doing deals, but sloppy about operations. And I think putting putting too much financial pressure on the people on the front lines, um, which, which I think created an atmosphere which which leads to bad decisions and, and, and probably contributed a lot to this disaster. Why have things never changed to BP? Because when, when Hayward took over, he sort of had that quote saying he was going to focus laser-like on safety of BP after the Texas City refinery accident. Why have the, the changes that they implemented, why have they never taken effect? Well, for one thing, as I understand, 
the kind of centralized safety um, organization that he was putting in never got to the Gulf of Mexico. The people there were so important, so central to BP's business that they were able to resist. I also think Hayward sent mixed messages. He said safety was crucial, focused, laser-like, and so on. He also said every dollar counted. And I think people were confused um, as to what was the real message. And I think dollars tend to prevail when, when you're doing reviews and that sort of thing. Do you sort of take a look at other companies' safety cultures at all? I mean, Exxon's or Shell's, have they sort of missed out on certain opportunities by being more safety conscious or sort of less risk-taking than BP? Well, there's there's a famous incident with a very difficult well called Blackbeard that in the Gulf of Mexico that Exxon was drilling, and they decided they had gas kicks, as they're called, um, and they decided it was too risky, and they stopped drilling and they were much criticized for that, um, and actually somebody else came in and finished it. But, but now you wonder whether you know that wasn't a good decision. And just looking ahead, I mean, BP's got a new chief executive, Bob Dudley, who again is, has promised to focus on safety. He's also rejigging the upstream business. So your assessment of his chances of, of, of that message actually finally getting through to you know people on rigs out in, in places like the Gulf. It's early days. I would be optimistic about it. I think Bob Dudley brings a a little, even though he's a an ex, you know, a BP person, he brings a little different perspective, and he, he's not just one of um, sort of John Brown's um, proteges and so on. So, and I think he's quite strong-willed, and 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 I think this latest disaster, you know, I hope they learn from it, though. Since they didn't learn from other ones, one, one still is still a sort of time will tell situation. Um, and just finally, I guess, I guess Dudley also has has the difficulty. On the one hand, he needs to, you know, increase BP's um, focus on exploration and production, and possibly become more not risk taking, but sort of you know take bigger bets on exploration. Yet at the same time, marry that with being more safety conscious. I mean, that's a bit of a difficult compromise, perhaps, to make. I think it is, and, and I, I also think he's going to try to centralize um, kind of management and, and so on at BP, make it more like Exxon, um, which is not as creative a company as BP. So I, I think he has the tricky job of centralizing decision-making, standardizing the way things are done while, while not losing the, um, the kind of creative edge which, which, which BP has had. Thank you very much. Let's move on to E.ON and the news that the German utility is increasing UK bills for customers in 2011, despite reporting strong growth in its UK businesses. David, how much are they increasing prices by? Electricity bills will go up by 9% and gas bills by 3%, which is pretty much in line with the other increases announced by now five of the six major energy providers in the UK. And what was their reasoning? Because we've had quite a bit of mild weather, at least in the recent week or so. Did the price rise come as a bit of a surprise? Not really. They had been expected to raise prices at some point during the winter. They say that they held off during the coldest period that we went through a month or so ago for the sake of their customers. But now they've done it and they've taken a step which every other energy company has taken, with the exception of EDF, which has promised to freeze all its bills until March, although uh, I understand that it's expected to announce a pretty big increase thereafter. And what are all these utilities saying? Are they sort of blaming the rise in the wholesale gas price for the rises? 
generally cite two explanations. One is exactly the one that you've mentioned. Um, the cold weather has pushed up the price of wholesale gas. And the second explanation is the sheer volatility of the wholesale market. They need to protect themselves against the very wild swings that take place on that market. And the only way they can do that is by putting up bills. That's their argument. Um, however, you might point out to E.ON, that the UK part of their business has performed exceptionally well recently. If you look at their last interim report, it shows that in 2010, the first nine months of 2010, the UK business made 767 million euros as earnings before interest and tax. That's an increase of 105% on the same period in 2009. Um, So you might think that that provides a pretty unfortunate context to be putting up household bills. Given that they've made so much money in the UK, why are UK customers suffering? Well, that's exactly the question that many people will ask, uh, and I put that to E.ON. And their answer is, well, we made our money in the UK from different parts of the business, from the retail side. So we made it out of generating and trading and so forth. And actually, the retail side didn't contribute a great deal. And the second point they make is that they're also investing a very large sum in the UK. In the first nine months of last year, they invested £605 million in Britain. uh, And they would argue that that's roughly comparable to the profits that they made in the same period. So they say that investment and profit are, are roughly equal. Thanks very much. And so our final topic for today, the growth of the natural resources sector in the FTSE 100 and its increasing importance to UK pension funds. Now, Will, you've been running some numbers and looked at the weighting of the natural resources sector in the FTSE 100 at the end of the year, and you came up with quite an interesting statistic. Now over one-third of weighting of the FTSE 100 index is oil and mining companies. It's been quite obvious for many years that oil companies, the BP and Shell especially, are the most important sector in this index, accounting for about 17, 18, 19 percent of the entire index's weightings. What is new, a trend that's intensified over the past few years, is the rise of the mining companies, especially after a a rash of listings that occurred in the years leading up to to 08, uh, when the bottom of the market uh, fell out. And they've overtaken banks, haven't they? Which they've overtaken the banks, which is, a, which is not in itself hugely significant, but maybe the most interesting indication of just how important they are. So banks, if you look at the towers of Canary Wharf, are an enormous part of British industry. And they traditionally have been the second most weighted sector in the FTSE 100 index after oil companies. Now mining has eclipsed it by by a by a hair's breadth, but still, uh, in mid December, the mining companies overtook the combined sector weighting of the banks. So now, what you have is the most weighted sector on London's benchmark index being oil and gas, and the second most weighted being a quite related sector of mining. Now, both of these have nice plush headquarters in London, but have absolutely nothing to do with London in terms of their asset bases being anywhere from Mali to Kazakhstan to the Gulf of Mexico oil wells. I guess the interesting thing here is, is, mm. is for listeners is is that you've, if you've got a UK pension, the odds are that your UK pension fund that has to invest in the FTSE 100 is now sort of investing in these mining companies. There's an argument that the, that the inherent volatility of commodities prices, whether it's coal or oil, is spilling over into the share prices of relatively volatile commodities-producing companies, which now have such an enormous weight in the index that the index itself Um, which, again, is prized for its kind of stability, is becoming more volatile. There is not necessarily, you know, a reason to worry if your grandmother concerned about um, losing it all of some 
mine in, in Russia goes belly up because it's still quite um, balanced. But one interesting statistic is that the beta, or the measure of volatility in the mining sector last year, was somewhere between 1.6 and 1.7, depending on which statistics you use, which means that it was 1.6 times more volatile than the market at large. Now, that was all upside because it gained 1.6 times more than the market overall. But you know what goes up can come down. And just look at the flooding in Australia right now and its effect on coal prices and, in turn, the share prices of the big coal producers. And then look at what weight those coal producers represent in the index, and you start to understand how we might be entering a, a new age in the London market of um, you know commodity price swings leading to bigger one-day falls uh, in the index at large. Thanks very much for that. And that's all we have time for today. All that's left is for me to thank my guests, Stanley Reed, David Blair and William McNamara. Energy Weekly was produced by LJ Filotrani. I'm Sylvia Pfeiffer. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.